Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I am here with my good friend, Dr. Karen Felsted. She is amazing. We talk all about what is going on with practice sales in vet medicine, meaning um, corporations buying practices, individuals buying practices, individuals selling practices, corporations selling practices. What, is this, what does this all mean? Where is it going? What are the trends? What can we look forward in the future? Because, guys, I really do think that ownership of practices, it shapes the culture of our profession in very profound ways. And so guys, Karen's got some of the best insight that I have heard on what this really looked like. And she she changed the way that I thought a bit about how uh, how ownership is shaping up in our profession. So anyway, really interesting conversation. If you're interested in things, the economics of, of our profession, I'm so glad she was here. She's really, really amazing. Gang, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Karen Felstead. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's, it is absolutely my pleasure. You are you are a legend in vet medicine. Uh, for those who don't know you, you you do many things. You are a veterinarian. You are Dr. Karen Felstead. You are also a certified uh, appraiser uh, for veterinary practices. You're a CVPM. Uh, you lecture all over the world. You write all over the place. I read your column in uh, in the Fountain Report, which is a, a nerdy business uh, newsletter <laughs> that if you like business, you should get it. It's called the Fountain Report. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, you write for today's vet business as well. Um, I, I think I see you in AHA Trends sometimes. Like you tend to write all over the place. I remember getting started as a speaker and you uh, you were already established and I have seen you do um, do presentations on industry research. I've seen you talk about buying practices, selling practices. I've seen you talk about key performance indicators. I'm kind of a fanboy, if you haven't noticed. I've <laughs> I've seen I celebrate your whole catalog. I have just I've watched you for years, uh, and you just do great, great work. So thank you for being here. Thank you. It's very high praise from you because you've certainly done a fantastic job in getting out there and talking to practices and sharing information and making it fun and interesting too. So well, thank you. Uh, I I see, so I see I read a lot. I read a lot of your stuff. Um, I saw something that you wrote recently, and you were talking about the veterinary practice sale market. And this is just something I'm just really interested in is the buying and selling of vet practices. I think that there's real implications for our for our future of our profession in, in what that looks like and how that goes. I, I will tell you, I'm kind of romantic in the way of like, um, I, I, I want veterinarians to be involved in running veterinary medicine. That's that's a thing for me. Um, I, I, I like small businesses and small business owners. And, and I, I want to keep that in our, in our profession to some degree. And so I, I'm just interested in, in that and all those things that come along with sort of the selling and buying of vet practices. And so I want to talk to you about that today. And I really want to try to get my head around where are we with the sale market of, of vet practices? So let me start out wide. And I just want to ask you, just pitch you a softball, but, but let you kind of open this conversation up. Tell me the story of veterinary practice sales over the last, say, five years or so. So jump back two years uh, pre-pandemic and talk to me about what's going on and then just sort of bring me up to speed with where we are. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great topic. Um, I love talking about this topic because like you said, there's just, there's a lot of nuances to it and certainly had a major, major impact on veterinary medicine. Much of it good, 
some things I think are a little bit challenging, right? Okay. So it's um it's a good topic. But anyways, you know, if if we talk four years ago, five years ago, whatever, pre-pandemic, um, there were certainly a lot of corporate groups around then. Um, you also had individual sales. And I think the biggest thing that we have to start off is is by separating the sales market into selling a practice to a corporate group or selling a practice to an individual veterinarian, whether that's an associate or somebody that, um, you know, you find through a broker and comes in and, and buys all of your practice because it's the same and then you're selling your practice, but the markets are very, very different. If we're talking about the really hot market these days, it's the corporate sale market. And that's certainly the one that gets all the the discussion and that people talk about and the amazing multiples that get tossed around out there, the prices that people are getting, that's from the, from the, from the corporate market. Um, you know, I, I, certainly corporate sales were very strong a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, you know, when finally the coronavirus hit, I'd say there was a couple of months there, there was a little bit of a pause because nobody knew what was going to happen. And, um, and corporate groups and individuals, for that matter, were were a little concerned about buying. Though I had um, I had a, a couple of individual sales go through at a time I would have considered the most risky, and those practices have done great. We got incredibly lucky in that we were designated an essential service, and so yeah. practices have done really well, as you well know. I mean, sometimes almost too well, right? I mean, people are tired, they're burned out. Um, yeah, struggle with mental health issues, but from a money standpoint, a business standpoint, it's been great, you know? Yeah. So, so hold on. I need to parse this apart a little bit. So to convince me that there's two different markets when you say selling to corporates and selling to ind individual people, because I, uh, that I had not thought of it that way. Uh, I guess part of the thing I wrestle with is I, I look at, at, at corporations buying practices and I look at individual veterinarians wanting to buy practices and I'm like, these are just different species. Like these are not remotely the same entities exactly. talking about this. So, so I, I just hadn't thought of it as two different markets because, you know, if, if we're buying and selling baseball cards, it, they're just baseball cards. You know what I mean? And, and whether you're uh, an individual person or a company, you're still just buying a baseball card. So, so convince me a, a little bit more about these being two different markets. Yeah. Help me. Help me crystallize that in my mind, because that's a different concept than what I'm used to. Yeah, I think um, when I think about them being two different markets, there's probably two major areas that drive that comment. So one is just if you sell to an individual, um, you know, what's usually the practice is going to operate the way it's always operated. OK, okay. largely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that a new buyer won't come in and make some changes, but it's essentially going to operate the same way that it has. And you as the seller, sometimes you'll stay in the practice. You may work full-time. You may work part-time. You may entirely leave. And the, the buyer, the individual veterinarian, the independent veterinarian buying the practice replaces you, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, if you sell corporate, I mean, in many ways, the practice operates the way that it has, right? You know, it's going to be mm -hmm. in its same location. I mean, you're still going to offer the same services. You're presumably going to have the same client base. But there are some major internal changes there. Um, probably the the biggest area of changes, it's not so much in the medicine side of it. I think most people that sell to corporate and most veterinarians who work for corporate are are fairly pleased with how corporate approaches the medicine side. But there are definitely big changes in the management side. If you're the practice manager, um, if you're anybody in the practice who's had 
a lot to do with the management of the practice, that changes. I mean, corporate's going to have its own way of doing the accounting, its own way of um, the steps you have to go through to, to purchase supplies, drugs, equipment, whatever. Um, their own ways of dealing with HR type issues. A lot of that is positive. A lot of that makes it very easy now. So, you know, practices get sick to death sometimes or managers and owners get sick to death of, of having to do all that administrative stuff. So now they don't have to go out and find the best payroll service or find, um, you know, who should handle their retirement plan or whatever, because there's a group that's helping them. Or, um, you know, I think corporate groups are better at finding veterinarians, although it's hard for everybody right now. So, the corporate group helps with that. You know, they have a, um, so definitely positive things that they do, but it absolutely changes what is done inside the practice. And yeah. people like some of that, but they don't always like some of it. And there's no question yeah. that the corporate owners are going to do some things differently. So that's one yeah. thing that to me makes this two different markets. And and as a seller, you've just you've got to make sure that you understand what your responsibilities will be going forward after selling and that you're willing to do that. You're almost always going to have to stay with the practice for X number of years. Um, particularly and the smaller the practice is, the longer you're going to have to commit to. Whereas sometimes yeah. when you sell to another independent person, you can leave immediately. Um, and now gotcha. part of that is just because we have such a tight market, right, for veterinarians. But the other piece, and this is probably the biggest one that I think drives that distinction of there being two different markets, is the price that's paid. Um, you know, I would say typically, you know, when we talk about the multiple, that's a translation of the profits of the practice into the price that somebody's willing to pay. And the multiple yeah. is the number that gets you from the earnings, from the profits to the price. And I would say typically a multiple in an independent practice sale is somewhere from four to maybe not quite six. Um, I don't usually see them much over six, but, you know, and, f you know, five, give or take a little bit is, is, is pretty typical. A multiple when you're selling to a corporate group and multiples are changing now. We can talk mm -hmm. about that as well. But yeah. um, instead of four to six, let's say last year it was 15 to 20. Yeah. So instead of That's getting bonkers. a million dollars for your practice, you get $4 million for your practice. I mean, yeah. enorm enormous differences. And, and the money that corporate can and will pay for it is different than what individuals can and will pay for it. In that regard, it's very separate markets, even though it's the same practice, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so when we talk about, about, you know, internal changes that we tend to see with corporates uh, that will take over a practice. It, it's been my impression that five, six, eight years ago, um, it seemed fairly rare that, or, that, that they would make significant internal changes or, or that those changes were, were few and far between. They would update generally the business operations, but, but left a lot of things alone. And it's been my anecdotal impression that the number of internal changes have been increasing in recent years. And I don't know if it's because the market is becoming more mature. Do you, and again, I don't have anything to back that up. That's just me looking at practices and feeling like um, there's, an, there's, there's a lot more change that tends to happen today than used to happen. And I, I think that's probably a lot of the corporate groups figuring out how to run practices or how they want to run practices or their business is maturing. Does that resonate with you at all? Or would you push back on that? Am, am I, am I, am I misguided? No, I think um, I could, I could see that. Um, 
It's not the first thing I think of when I think of the corporate market, but I think that's probably true. But I think it depends on the kind of practice you are. Largely, if you're doing well, they're going to leave you alone, except for some of the things they're going to change. I mean, they're going to change how you do the accounting, how bills are paid, how payroll's done, how you order drugs and that kind of stuff. But a lot of the other stuff, they're not necessarily going to change, right? But it it does. If you're doing well, they'll leave you alone. If you are not doing well, if the practice isn't performing the way that they want it to or that it should, or there's a lot of um, turnover in employees or there's a lot of customer pet owner complaints, then I do think they're going to get involved more. And I, I think that comes back to what you said. I think they're learning how to run practices better, but I think they're being forced to learn how to run practices better because um, it's a it's a challenging environment within the corporate world right now. And, you know, it used to be you could put together a small group and you could buy 100 practices and you'd flip it and you'd make a ton of money just through essentially the arbitrage effect, right? Yeah. But now it's not a guarantee that you'll get this increased multiple when you sell your 100 practices or your 500 practices or whatever it is. And and you, you've got to do better and you may end up holding on to those practices for longer. And if you're going to make any money out of it, um, it means operations have to be strong. And also with the prices that corporate are paying, profits have to be strong because they're paying these enormous amounts of money, even now with multiples coming down. Yeah, I want to I want to unpack the changes that we're seeing in some corporate pressures. But first, I, I want to I just want to explore this just a little bit more in the two markets. In order to have a, a healthy market, you have to have buyers and sellers, right? Like that's what makes a market. And so I understand who, who the buyers and sellers for the corporate market are. When you talk about the independent market, who are the sellers? Who are the people who are like, I'm, that's a great would, question. you know, that 15 times multiples sounds high to me. I'd rather have four times multiples. How do I get in that market? Help me understand how that market survives. So it's partially, I mean, probably the biggest distinguishing factor between the two markets is the size of the practice. And whether you measure that by revenue or number of veterinarians, that's going to be the biggest. Um, You know, the corporate groups want a million and a half in revenue and two or three doctors at a minimum. A year ago, we were seeing corporate groups buy practices that were, say, a million in revenue, and even one doctor practices, at least in my experience, um, they backed off a lot on doing that. And and even that, I wouldn't say, was massively common. There were plenty of corporate groups that didn't want to buy practices that small. So, you know what, 50% of practices are still these tiny practices and um, or relatively small practices. So those are they're going to be sold independently because there's no other way to sell them, right? Okay. Um, and then you do run into a few veterinarians who are just like, I don't like the corporate market. This isn't where mm-hmm. I want veterinary medicine to go. And I'm going to sell it independently. I've actually worked with two practices this year. Um, one's a big practice. I mean, like, close to $5 million in, in revenue, they'd get a fortune if they sold it to corporate, but they're not. He's selling to an associate. And another one that's a little smaller, a couple million in revenue. Both of those, though, most practices of that size and similar to these practices I'm thinking of sell to corporate. But you get a yeah. few that don't. And honestly, those are really lucky associates that can buy those practices. 
Yeah, I I have seen some of those. Okay, that's that that makes sense to me. I, I'll, I'll buy into that. I I used to think that we were going in a direction where um, independent practices would either, if you wanted to be an independent practice owner, you ha- you were going to need to start up or you're going to need to do a turnaround. But what I'm hearing from you is you can probably buy a small place, uh, you know that that's doing okay. Okay, all right, that makes sense yeah, to me. You can definitely buy a small practice. Um, I think there, okay. you know, I think. Buyers have less interest in doing that, independent buyers, but you can definitely do that and you can build it. And, um, you know, if you've, if you've got the ideas of how to make this be a cool practice and attract pet owners to it, you can do amazingly well with it. Yeah. How do you think these two markets balance out, Karen? Are we going to a, a 60, 40 corporate, uh, independent ownership, mar- uh, 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 ratio or it, can you, can you, can you, prognosticate that? Yeah. You know, I would say that if we talk about general practices, okay, because that's mm-hmm. mostly, we're mostly talking about small animal, um, both general and specialty practices, but let's talk about small animal um, general practices now. You know, I would say somewhere between 25 and 30% of the physical practices, the locations have been sold to corporate. So let's say a quarter, a little bit more than a quarter, maybe. Now, when you look at it from a revenue standpoint, it's probably twice that. It's 45, 50% because they're mostly buying the bigger practices. So if we talk about specialty and emergency, it's it's a much bigger number, 70%, 80% of of those practices have been sold. That's a that so that part of veterinary medicine is very very corporatized. General practices less so, but there's still there's still a fair amount there that have been bought by corporate, at least from the revenue perspective, not so much the location perspective. Hey guys, I just want to hop in really quick and give a quick plug. The Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming in April. Guys, I founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in 2017. It is a one-of-a-kind conference. It is all about business. It is about internal communications, working effectively inside your practice. If you're a leader, that means you can be a medical director. It means you can be an associate vet who really wants to work well with your technicians. It means you can be a head technician, a head CSR. You can be a practice owner, practice manager, multi-site manager, multi-site uh, medical director. We work with a lot of those people. This is all about building systems, setting expectations to work effectively with your people. Guys, Uncharted is a peer mentorship conference. That means that we come together and there is a lot of discussion. We create a significant percentage of the uh, schedule, the agenda at the event, which means we're going to talk about the things that you are interested in. Uh, it is, always, as I said, business communication focused, but uh, lots of freedom inside that to make sure that you get to talk about what you want to talk about. We really prioritize people being able to have one-on-one conversations, to pick people's brains, to get advice from people who have wrestled with the problems that they are currently wrestled with. We make all that stuff happen. If you want to come to a conference where you do not sit and get lectured at, but You work on your own practice, your own challenges, your own growth and development. That's what Uncharted is. Take a chance. Give us uh, us a look. Come and check it out. It is in April. I'll put a link in the show notes for registration. Um, Ask anybody who's been. It's something special. All right. Let's get back into this episode. Let's let's talk about 
sort of what you touched on earlier on, let's start to unpack some of the changing pressures on the corporate sides and the corporate practices. So you said, you know, that their their position is a little bit different than it used to be. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that with, uh, you know, we have rising inflation. Uh, we have possibly some pressures coming from being a more mature market. Uh, you know, people, I think there was a lot of money flowing into vet medicine. And I hear whispers now that people kind of want to know what their what their return on investment has been, and uh, there's things like that. Is is yeah. any of that true? And, and what does it look like? Oh no, I I definitely think there's more pressure on corporate, and I think I think the bubble has, um, if not entirely burst, it's leaking a little bit, right? And mm-hmm. um, a year ago, there was so much competition am- amongst corporate groups for the good practices. I mean, some of the prices that I saw are beyond belief. And, and, you know, I stopped telling clients, oh, that'll never happen. Because as soon as I said, that'll never happen, they get this like totally astounding offer and I look like an idiot, you know? So um, <laughs> I have tempered how I phrase things. Yeah, I understand. That. Um, because it was nuts, you know? But um, I think multiples are definitely coming down. And I think corporate groups are managing their risk a little bit more. And and it's all because of the things that you mentioned. Um, I think it's two big issues. We have the inflation. We're unclear what pet owners are going to do as far as taking care of their, their pets. And we also have the hiring problem. And, you know, finding a veterinarian right now is an utter nightmare. Finding a registered technician is an utter nightmare. Um, you know, and this is not anything that anybody thinks is going to change any anytime soon. Matt Saloy, who used to be the chief economist with the AVMA, he did um, a webinar a couple of months ago. He thinks this is a 10 year problem. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, that's a lot. He's long- been on the podcast a couple of times. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate his insight. He's yeah, he's great. a smart guy. And I believe him when he says things, you know, so so that's that's a big issue. And so because of that, the corporates are paying less for practices, though, if you're a good practice, I mean, you can still get mm-hmm. a very nice amount of money, right? But as I said, they're managing their risk a little bit more as well, which means, you know, when they're buying a practice, they're buying revenue, essentially, and they are working hard to make sure that that revenue is going to be in place. So if that means an owner doctor, maybe a year ago would only have to stay a year and now they have to stay two years or maybe it's not an all cash offer. Maybe what they want is a joint venture where the corporate group owns 60% of the practice. The seller continues to own 40%, but they have more skin in the game. The seller has more skin in the game to make sure that this still works well. Or they have earnouts, um, which means that you've got to hit certain revenue levels or profit levels before you'll get all of the the purchase price. Um, or the non compete is is more stringent than it used to mm-hmm. be. Um, and you know, it's it is. I think sometimes sellers quibble about that, but it's it's kind of hard to complain when somebody's handing you bazillions of dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, you can understand why the the corporate groups are nailing that down. Yeah. That absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Where do you see this going? As you look ahead in 2023, and yeah, I mean, and I know my crystal ball is, it's, I, I thought it was good Perfect. until 2019 and then it just, it just fell apart. It, and it, I, yeah, it's got duct tape on it now. I agree. It, it, but yeah, that's a, I think, what? I think prior to the pandemic, we had a pretty good idea of where veterinary medicine was going. And now every time I think this is what's going to happen, it doesn't, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think um, I think independent sales will. I, they haven't been as heavily impacted by the pandemic 
as the corporate sales, okay? Yeah. Um, are there fewer veterinarians wanting to buy pra- practices? Maybe, you know, we, but we've been saying that for 10 or 15 years, right? Yeah, yeah. And yet it still happens. So I I wonder about that. I think that there's a narrative that, and this there may seem a little bit of misogyny baked in here of like, uh, you know, as vet medicine has has gone increasingly female, people go, oh well, veterinarians don't want to own practices. And I go, are you just saying that, or is that is that really true? I'm not sure. I'm on board with that. I don't know. Some people can make a good work life balance argument and say, well. A younger generation doesn't want that type of ownership, and, and maybe there's something to it. I'm, I'm still, I'm just not sold on the idea that that entrepreneurial spirit's not there. I and totally agree with you. And I saw a very interesting study. I probably read this ten years ago, and it talked about how women's um, career paths are somewhat different from men's. So men come in early, charging ahead from the very beginning. Women come in at the time they're starting in their careers. They're also starting families. They may have parents that they have to take care of, whatever. So you sometimes don't see women really surge forward and want to own practices or start their own businesses or whatever until later in their careers than men do. So when we're all busy saying, hey, veterinarians don't want to own practices, and and certainly we've had the whole feminization of the of the profession. But some of that is we've also had women in the early stages of their careers. So I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not completely convinced about this either. I do think the rising salaries, some veterinarians are like, hey, it's just easier to stay an associate because I've got a great salary, good benefits. I want to have family time. I want to have time to do whatever my hobbies are. And that does make it easier. I, I see that. I see that with some of the corporate groups that I work with, where yeah. um, if you're in, if you're in a, in a well-managed practice and boy, especially as busy as we are, um, if you get paid on production and things like that, there's a lot of doctors who generate a really good salary for themselves and they wash their hands at the end of the day and go home and yeah. nobody calls them and they go, Oh, this is, this is got, I don't have to worry like about making this. payroll. Uh, yeah, I That's like right. this. I, yeah. I definitely, I definitely get that. I just, I think it's, it's interesting. It's interesting at kind of decisions that, that people make. Let's talk a little bit about, um, about kind of best practices, pitfalls, uh, kind of on, on both sides. So let's say that you are someone who is, uh, you own, say you own a practice and you're considering, uh, you're considering selling. What, what are, uh, give me some, let's start with pitfalls. Pit, uh, most common pitfalls I want to look out for. Uh, and then, and then some, a couple of best practices. What, how do I do this? Yeah. 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 I mean, you want to have a well run practice, right? Because, um, I mean, everybody, whether it's an independent veterinarian, looking to buy a practice or a corporate group, um, the better run the practice is and the more profitable it is, the better that's going to be for the seller. Um, The more profitable it is means the more money you're going to get for it. And the better managed it is, you're just going to more likely to have more potential buyers. And so that comes down to all the usual stuff, right? In better inventory control, expense control, um, a, a well-organized team, a well-trained team, a well-managed team. Obviously, good quality medicine, but I almost think that's kind of a given, right? Sure. Um, good customer service. You know, people like you. They come back to the practice. It's yeah. all that same stuff we've talked about in management for as long as I've been doing this. 
Um, and, and it's, you know, those are kind of the core basics, but I think they're more important now than they used to be. Yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense to me. All right, let's flip it to the other side and just say that you're, say that you're a young doctor or a doctor practice management dynamic duo who I, I love to see. I love to see a technician and doctor buy a practice together. I've seen it a number of times. It just, God, it just makes me happy for some reason I can't explain. Uh, but I, I love great. it. So, so, so those, so say we have our, our young entrepreneur or entrepreneurial, uh, partners and, and they, they want to, they want to do their thing and they would like to, they'd like to buy an established practice. Give me a pit, pitfalls to look out for, uh, best practices. Uh, give me, what, what do you say to these people as you, as you ride in the elevator with them? Do, obviously it's do your due diligence. And I know it sounds self-serving, but I, you need an advisor, right? Yeah. Um, particularly on right. the financial side. Because if you're going to buy a practice, and this is whether it's a veterinarian or a veterinarian and a non-veterinarian or whatever, but you need to thoroughly understand the price that's being asked for the practice and whether that's a reasonable price. And just because somebody puts a reasonable or puts a price out there doesn't necessarily mean it's a reasonable price, right? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And, and, you know, sellers need advisors too, because they need somebody to help them decide what is a reasonable price. So um, you need financial and legal due diligence. And it doesn't mean, you know, you can find a practice that has some problems. And and as long as it's low-hanging fruit, it's things you feel like you can, you can really make a change on, as long as it's priced fairly to recognize the fact that the practice has those problems, that can be a great opportunity, right? You don't want to yeah. buy a practice that has um, some really significant deal breaker kinds of things. You know, it has a terrible reputation in the in the community or it's going to take a fortune to buy the equipment that you now need or renovate the facility or, or something like that. I mean, there are some practices out there that um, I, there's a situation I'm aware of where, I mean, there's a veterinarian in a smaller community can't even give this practice away. I mean, he's, it's too bad. It's really, it's, it's a sad situation when a veterinarian who's had a decent practice for years and years and years ends up in that situation. I will say, if you're a seller, and there's not a lot you can do about this at some point in your career, but um, buyers are more interested in in practices that are located in bigger communities. So yeah. urban areas, suburban areas, you know, if you're in Timbuktu, Texas, it's a little bit more of a, of a challenge to find an individual, to find an individual buyer or find a corporate buyer. Yeah. But what do you do that about that if you're 55 and this has been your practice for 30 years? Then what you do about it is you focus on making the money you're going to need for retirement before selling. And hopefully yeah, you'll say, real estate and you can sell the real estate. I, I, that, there, there you go. I mean, that that's really it, right? Hope for the best and prepare for the worst to say, well, you know, I've got 10 years before I'm out of here. I, I need to I need to, I need to look at my cash flow and make this happen. And, and and the other thing, you know, the other thing I see, I do see people doing, which which I I think can be a beautiful thing, is if you've got some time, is to build that pipeline and sort of ment- mentor somebody if Absolutely. you can, and say, you know, I like, hey, I know it's going to take me a long time to find someone, so I'm going to go ahead and start ten years early yeah. trying to bring someone in. Uh, I, I've seen that. I've seen that work for people if you can find the right person. You know, if you can find the right person and somebody that wants to be in the community that you're in, if yeah. you're in like Timbuktu, Texas. But you find somebody that grew up in Timbuktu, Texas, and wants to come back there. Yeah, exactly. 
I think it works better if you can also do the the, the cash flow thing as well. Because when it gets sad is when people are desperate to bring someone in and you and it's just oh it's just a painful a painful situation. It's, it's not good painful. for anybody. Those are the worst situations when I get somebody call and they're like, you know, I'm a one doctor practice and I could even be a very profitable one doctor practice, sure. but I can't find a buyer, you know? Yeah. Or it's a one doctor practice and it's not as profitable as they thought it was. And it's like, you should have thought about this 20 years ago, you know? Yeah. Well, I've got, I know, I know some very profitable, very good practices from a cultural standpoint, meaning they're very happy and their teams are very happy. And it's not, don't get the uh, impression like, oh, if if they had a great place, someone would want to come there and work there. It's like, I, you know, geography is a powerful motivator and uh, people move into some place that someone doesn't have any roots and there's not a lot of nightlife yeah. or opportunities for a spouse. Like those yeah. things are, are hard. Nobody's doing anything wrong, but, but those are obstacles. Yeah. What are your favorite resources for um, for somebody who's interested in this? They want to learn more about about how veterinary markets work or what's going on in our profession or part two, uh, if they're interested in buying or selling a practice, where do you send people just to get started reading and learning more? Yeah. So um, certainly if you look at many of the conferences that are out there, whether we're talking in person or virtual, there will often be um, a session or a couple of sessions on buying or selling a practice that can be useful. Look at some of the major publications out there. So, you know, you mentioned the Fountain Report, you mentioned today's veterinary business, they will regularly have articles on um, buying and selling practices that can all be very useful. Um, I am, and like I said, again, I understand it sounds self-serving, but I strongly believe that you need a good team when you're buying a practice or selling it either way. Um, and you're going to need a financial advisor to help look at the, the either put a price on the practice or evaluate a, an offer that's, that's being made. Um, and you're also ultimately going to need a legal advisor as well, somebody to help with the contracts for that. Um, I think that that is critically important for any practice purchase or sale, especially important on a corporate sale because they have fleets of Wall Street lawyers who are (laughs) protecting them, the corporate groups. And so um, a seller needs that as well. But it's important all the way around. And then ultimately, they're going to need, not everybody has a strong sense of how to run a practice once they come in. And so, you know, when you talk about getting up to speed and resources and stuff, a ton of what's available out there at conferences and in publications and webinars and whatever is just about how to manage a practice. And, and so thinking about, okay, what do I want this practice to be like once I, once I own it? And that's a little oh. bit farther down the line, but you can't start too soon on that. Yeah. Karen, where can people find you online? How can they uh, How can they reach out if they have questions, things like that? They can reach out to me. My company name is Panthera T, which is P-A-N-T-H-E-R-A-T. It's short for Panthera tigris, which is the genus and species of tigers. And I just picked it because I wanted kind of an interesting and fun company name. But when I called GoDaddy, the guy said, Pan the Rat, is that really what you want for your domain name? (laughs) So that was an unintended consequence. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. But people remember it. So um, I thought it was I thought it was Panthera. I thought you were big into like eighties heavy metal. Uh, that was a that was a Panthera. Like, it's the no, genus okay. and species of tigers. So it, like I said, I like tigers, just wanted to do Band something fun. But um, so, so you can Google Panthera tea, you can Google my name, it'll come up. But love to talk to people about anything that they're 
they're dealing with in their practices. Well, you are amazing. Thank you for being here. I'll put links in the show notes for uh, the references that we talked about. I'll put I'll put links for uh, for pan the <laughs> rat. I can, now all I can see is pan the rat. That's all I can see when I look at it. Uh, anyway, um, I will put links to Karen and Karen's uh, and Karen's uh, practice as well. And um, yeah, any guys, I, she's wonderful. If you have questions, definitely reach out. Gang, take care of yourselves. Be well, everybody. And that's it, guys. That's our show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. Special thanks to Karen for being here. She is amazing. If you enjoyed the show, as always, tell your friends, share the podcast, Leave me an honest review wherever you get your podcast. It's how people find the show. It means the world to me. And if you're like, I oh, that Andy work is so awesome. I love to hang out with him. You uh, check out some of my online training courses for teams. I have a, a Charming the Angry Client course and a exam room communication toolkit course. They are on-demand courses. They're made for teams to take and for groups to take together. It's all about discussion questions. I've got some goofy video examples and things like that. But uh, anyway, you guys... Um, Be well. Take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.